The second reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 18, and can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1205. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared more than five to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect." No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, did, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost." This is the word of the God of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Maddie, for reading that wonderful passage of Scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, let's, uh, before we proceed, let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will empower us to understand this word. We pray that the Spirit of God will take control of our lives, that we will know the power of the risen Jesus Christ this morning, that you will take away, Lord, all distractions from our hearts and minds, and may the power of Christ be upon us, Lord. And may the name of Jesus be exalted in this place, and may the Spirit of God do his work freely amongst us. In the name of Jesus We pray. Amen. Well, friends, does the resurrection of Jesus matter? Does it matter? That's the question I want to begin with this morning. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make to you, to me, and to the world at large? Does the resurrection of Jesus really matter 
for us as a nation. For us here in Melbourne. Does it really matter to the average person on the street? The people who are driving past this place, the people who are enjoying the long weekend, does it really matter? Well, does the resurrection of Jesus have any implications in your life, in mine, and for mankind in general? Who really has time to think about Easter? Really? Who really has time to think about Jesus? Does it really matter? What difference does it make? The famous uh, German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said that God is dead. God is basically dead. And Karl Marx said that religion is a drug, the opium of the people. The Economist in December 1999 published an article said this. God, after a lengthy career, the Almighty recently passed into history. He passed away into history. December 23rd, 1999. Has God passed away? We live in a world of pluralistic ideas and perceptions about life, God and faith and people of no faith. And people of faith. You've heard that expression as well. And in such a world, how does the message of Easter cut through? And perhaps you've asked the question, why do people attack the resurrection of Jesus? Why do they attack it? In a debate in October 2008 at the University Museum of Natural History in Oxford, UK, between Richard Dawkins and the well-known, the, the well-known atheist and, and author of God, The God Dedution, and John Lennox, professor at Oxford, the mathematics professor, Lennox boldly said that he as a scientist believed that Jesus Christ was God's son and was raised from the dead. And Dawkins was stunned by this admission. And he said the following. This is what Dawkins said. Well, there you have it. Just when you think Professor Lennox is making a case for an intelligent designer, he brings up the resurrection of Jesus. It is so petty. It is so parochial. It is so beneath the universe. (laughs) That's what he said. Why is Professor Lennox bringing up the resurrection of Jesus? It is so petty. It is so parochial. It is beneath the universe. Now why would Richard Dawkins attack the resurrection of Jesus with such passion? You see, because at the core of Christianity is the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. At the very core of Christianity is the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Without the resurrection, the story of Jesus is a tragedy. Yes? Without the resurrection, Christianity is a tragedy. Without the resurrection, Christianity is an unfinished matter. 
Without the resurrection of Jesus, Good Friday has no meaning. Without the resurrection, the very question about the existence of God is brought into question. And therefore, to attack the resurrection of Jesus is to attack the very existence of God, the very character of God, the very person of God. And so we have the right, we have the right to investigate the evidence. For the Bible itself speaks of the many infallible proofs of the resurrection. You see, how do you connect to Mr. Joe and Mrs. Joe or Miss Joe and whatever on the street? In your workplace, people might ask you the question, what do you do on Easter weekend? Well, I went to church. Well, why why did you go to church? (laughs) What, What do you believe? How do you connect with people out there in the world on this message of Easter? See, what kind of evidence do we have? Is there historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Why do we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? You see, the historical evidence need to be investigated. It needs to be investigated. The evidence needs to be brought out. It needs to be debated. The, the, the ideas need to be canvassed in this world. It needs to be canvassed outside of the four walls of this church, right? Because that's where the rubber kind of hits the road. What does it mean? Well, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, a fantastic Bible expositor speaking on verifying the resurrection, outlines six evidences for the resurrection. And they are as follows. He says, he speaks about the resurrection narratives. And and I will uh, highlight these things in a few moments. He speaks about the empty tomb. He speaks about a not quite empty tomb. The post-resurrection appearances the transformed disciples, the new day of Christian worship. Well, the resurrection narratives. A first important evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that of the resurrection narratives themselves. There are four of them, as we know in the Gospels. They are more or less independent, yet they are harmonious, and, that, and they suggest the reliability of historical, as historical documents. The empty tomb, a second major evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the empty tomb. We might deny that an actual resurrection took place, but we can hardly deny that the tomb was empty. The disciples began soon after the crucifixion and burial to preach about the resurrection at a time when those to whom they preached, they could have simply walked to the tomb to see if the body was actually there. Right? Right? Wouldn't you have done that? If somebody was preaching that so-and-so has risen, wouldn't you want to go and look at that tomb? And say, well, show me. The body is still there. A not quite empty tomb. According to John, the tomb was not quite empty. The body of Jesus was gone, but the grave clothes remained behind. And John saw something striking that caused him to believe in Jesus' resurrection. And what did John believe? He might have explained it like this to Peter. Don't you see, Peter, that no one has moved the body or disturbed the grave clothes? They are lying exactly as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus left the eve of the Sabbath. Yet the body is gone. 
It has not been stolen. It has not been moved. Clearly, it must have passed through the clothes, leaving them as we see them now. The fourth aspect is the post-resurrection appearances. And I'm going to touch on that uh, in this talk this morning. Where Jesus was seen by the disciples, by the women, by Peter, the, the guys who were on the, on the road to Emmaus, the disciples there, by 500 brethren, by the apostle Paul. The fourth thing is the transformed disciples. Their lives were changed upside down and they were proclaiming a powerful message of the resurrection of Jesus. And the sixth one was the new day of worship. Montgomery Boyce commenting on this says, The final though often overlooked evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the change of the day of regular Christian worship from the Jewish Sabbath Saturday to Sunday, the first day of the week. So he speaks about six evidences. And in addition to this, there is secular history that speaks of the death and resurrection of Christ. Josephus, for example, the Jewish, not a Christian historian, speaks of Christ's life, miracles, death, and resurrection as part of historical facts. Pagan historians such as Pliny and Tacitus and other guys speak of Christ's death and to some degree the belief by some that he arose from the dead. So can we ignore these non-Christian sources? I don't think so. We should not. Surely their record carries great weight, especially in light of what has already been proven from the gospel records. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the passage that Mary read for us this morning, the Apostle Paul speaks powerfully. If you look at that chapter, he speaks very powerfully about the resurrection of Jesus and its incredible implications for believers and the world. So today I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers, and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still uh, living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Notice, my dear friends, in this passage, what is of first importance? Of first essential importance is the foundational nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I delivered to you of first importance. What I received, I passed on to you as first importance. That is, that Christ died for our sins. What is he saying here? He's saying that everything else in the Bible is important, but of first importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you get this right, then you've got your understanding of who Christ is. Paul says, I delivered to you day after day what was of first importance, and that is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the message of Good Friday. On Good Friday, we think of Christ crucified on the cross. Why? Why did Jesus die on the cross? 
Why did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Have you thought about that? On, my, on our way from Colombo at the airport, we saw quite a lot of people there. Uh, I don't know from what nation. All, all these guys dressed in white. And bare feet. And uh, Rose and myself were discussing to find out who these people were. Heaps of them. And my understanding was that they are people who have gone to some temple somewhere to pay for their sins. They are returning back perhaps or going somewhere else to some other place in order to atone for their sins. Dressed in white, bare feet, to try and work out this way of paying for sins. And what a tragedy that is. How sad that is. When we have a glorious message that says to us that Christ died for your sins and for mine. The sinless Savior hung on the cross and was crucified for our sins. And let's stop there for a moment. What is sin? You see, sin is a rebellion against God. It is a disobedience against God. Sin is turning our backs on God. And the Bible tells us that we have all sinned against God. We have turned away from Him. And we see its ugly effects in our lives and in the world that we live in. And the remedy for this sin was the cross of Christ. And Paul goes on to say that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's an interesting passage here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. You see, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And notice this. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. <laughs> Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance. Now, why was Pilate surprised that Jesus was already dead? He expected, friends, he expected to see Jesus hanging on the cross for a longer period of time before he died. But, let me say this, Jesus was in control of his own death. Is that clear? None of us can really have control of our own death, can we? But Jesus did. And while he was hanging on the cross, it is Jesus who cried out. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And Pilate was surprised. And while the body laid in the tomb, imagine all that was going on during this time, particularly on the evening of that Sabbath day. We see the bewilderment of Pilate and the chief priests. For example, we read this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure. That's what they wanted. And this is what Pilate said. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go make the tomb as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. 
we see this frantic, this frenzied efforts of the religious leaders by reminding Pilate of what Jesus said. He is going to rise again. He was to die. He is going to be raised on the third day. That is tomorrow. In there, at that time. So set a guard. And so the guards were set. We see the scattered disciples. They lived in absolute fear. After the crucifixion. But praise God for the women. <laughs> they were there. When Jesus was crucified. And they were there. They were the last at the tomb. And the first at the tomb. And notice further friends. What Paul says here. That Jesus was buried. And he was raised on the third day. That's the resurrection. He was raised. Death could not keep him in the tomb. This is the message of Easter. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. What a glorious, what a powerful message. Christ is risen. And yet, friends, I wonder how many of us really, and what about our nation here in Australia, really take time to think about it. (laughs) Are Are you praying for revival in Australia? Do I get a response? Are you praying for revival in Australia? Are you praying for conversions in Australia? Come on, tell me yes powerfully. We are, aren't we? Yes. Right? We need to be praying for this. We need to be praying for this risen Jesus Christ, the all-powerful Savior, to do an amazing work in the city of Melbourne, here in Surrey Hills, and across the nation. This is a, a powerful message. Christ is risen. And as the risen Savior, he appeared to many. And Paul says, he appeared to Peter. Look at your text. He says, he appeared to Cephas. That is to Peter. You see, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about this appearance to Peter. Uh, Luke and the disciples on the road to Emmaus affirm that on this day Jesus appeared to Peter. Our text says that he appeared to Peter and the other disciples. I don't know where Jesus appeared to Peter. Probably somewhere in Jerusalem. But imagine this moment for Peter. This had to be a bittersweet moment for Peter who had just hours before denied him how many times? Three times. And now Jesus makes it a point to come to Peter personally and say, Look at me, Peter. I am alive. And what an experience this must have been for Peter to encounter the risen Jesus and that transformed his life so that Peter, when he preached his first sermon, this is what he said, fellow Israelites, I'm not going to read the whole text, but in verse 24 there, you would see in Acts chapter 2, 22-24, But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. A powerful transformation. Let me come back here to the text here. Paul says he appeared to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living and some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James and then to Paul. There's a physical appearance of Jesus. He ate with them. The Bible tells us he met them. He spoke with them. He greeted them. They saw him. He responded to them. They interacted with him. What a glorious savior this is. And then Paul says, at the end, he appeared to me. 
abnormally born. When did that happen? When did that happen? There's a bit of biblical trivia for you. When did that happen? Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. When Paul was persecuting the church. As he neared Damascus in Acts chapter 9 on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. So friends, here is the evidence I've given you by God's grace this morning. Biblical evidence. We've seen the narratives as it were, as was explained from, John, from uh, Montgomery Boyce, the six aspects there. We see aspects here in, in 1 Corinthians 15. We see it in the Gospels. We need to investigate it and to believe that our faith goes with facts. And our faith is grounded in a person. That is why I am here this morning. If Jesus is not alive and I have not seen it in the scriptures and do not believe it by faith, I won't be here with you this morning. I'm sure you won't be here either. Because we are wasting our time, aren't we? But Christ is alive. And that's the glorious message. Here is proof. Here are eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. So when people react with you and and interact with you about this risen Savior, bring them to the facts. When you are doubting your faith, come back to the facts. When you feel a bit wobbly in your Christian journey, Come back to the foundations of the faith. When you feel that God has not loved you, come back to this foundational aspect where Christ has died for you at the cross, was buried and was raised from the dead. You say these are so important truths that they are ours in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we must hold on to. So, does the resurrection of Jesus really matter? Absolutely, it does. No one knows exactly where Jesus was buried, because his body is not there. He is alive, and this fact is the bedrock of the Christian faith. At the center of Christianity is not a place. At the center of Christianity is not a wailing wall or a temple. At the center of Christianity is not a dome of some rock, or a shrine at the center of Christianity is the risen Savior Jesus. We celebrate an empty tomb. Friends, what about you this morning? Have you experienced the joy of the risen Savior in your life? Are you experiencing the joy of the risen, powerful, amazing Savior Jesus Christ in you? You see, when we believe in Christ, you see, the Bible tells us this, friends, that the Spirit of God, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ will indwell you and your life will be transformed and you will experience the power, the most awesome power of God in your life and you will never be the same again. Is that right? You see, when God touches you by the power of His risen Son, Jesus Christ, He will transform your life. He will change your life. And He will make you a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And every day as we go through life, we will know the power of this risen Savior, Jesus.
That's what it is. But today on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the end of the fear of death. The end of the fear of death. Um... Coming back to my trip in Sri Lanka. I just landed in Colombo. Got my bags. I'm putting all the bags in the van. My cousin whispers next to me. I've got some sad news. I said, Lord, I've come for a holiday. I don't want sad news. You know the feeling, right? You just landed in a, in a country. I have a break. Sad news. So tell me. Tell me the sad news. One of your cousins passed away just tonight. Tonight while we were flying. And I had spoken to her two weeks ago. And we organized a bag of gifts to take to her. It's still in my suitcase. I didn't tell the family because we landed at 12 o'clock in the night or something. I thought, no, I'll tell them the next day. I called the family together the next morning and said, we have some sad news. A death in the family. This was happened. Explained the situation, went to the funeral service. I was able to participate in the funeral service with the minister there. I shared the service together. I was confronted with death. I stood in front of the grave in Colombo, the general cemetery in Colombo, during the service there. Open grave. Second day after we landed. But I knew this person, my cousin, knew Christ. In a simple way. And that made the difference. When we are confronted with death, makes the difference when you know Christ. You know that? It makes an amazing difference when you know Jesus. Because this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 56. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus emerged triumphant over death. He conquered the grave. They pulled his lifeless body down from the cross and carried it into the tomb. But on the third day, he walked out of the tomb, the risen, victorious Son of God, just as the angel has said to the women, Don't be afraid, he is alive. And at the center of Christianity, friends, is a man, Jesus, the Son of God, who walked away from the tomb, himself moving a rock into his own triumphant victory. If Jesus is dead, we are dead spiritually. We will be physically dead as well. One day, we will not know what it means to have eternal life in Christ, but we will be tormented by the stench of death forever but thanks be to God, he rose from the dead and we will also rise with him. Wow. Every grave will be opened and all those who are in Christ will be raised and receive a glorious, beautiful, new body just as Christ's body. And what a glorious message that is. What a joyful message that is. What a joy it is to know this Jesus. I tell you friends, this is what keeps me going in life. In my times of trials, in my times of ups and downs, when the going is tough and the tears are down, pouring down, this is what keeps us going. The foundational aspect of Christ, our Redeemer, 
our eternal Savior. That we put our hands in his hands and say, Precious Lord, lead me on. Take me on day by day. Isn't that wonderful? Let me uh, give you some aspects as I wind up this message this morning. Some practical aspects here. See, the empty tomb proves to us beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ really is who he says he is. That he was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He said, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up again. We can trust him for his word because that happened. That's the first thing. Second thing, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that God the Father accepted the, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross for you and me. Good Friday is meaningless without the resurrection. The third thing, and as a result of being forgiven for the sake of Christ, he says, because I live, you also will live. And he gives us the sure gift of his promised presence in life and eternal life. As you go through life, what a joy it is to talk to a living Savior every day. Don't you think so? When you pray, you're not praying to some dead statue, to some dead piece of wood, or to some dead cement carved thing. You are praying, I am praying to the living Savior. Who understands our pain. Who understands our suffering. Who knows our joys. The fourth thing, the resurrection of Jesus makes a real difference to life in this world. It turns night into day. It turns despair into hope. It turns brokenness to fulfillment. It turns death into life. The fifth thing, the resurrection of Jesus gives us purpose and meaning, hope and healing, peace and pardon, and power in the face of everything else we face in the world the resurrection of Jesus gives us meaning to life, without which we will have no meaning for existence. Take, for example, this guy, Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy. In his late 40s, Tolstoy had everything a person could imagine and desire and have. He had wealth, success, social status, good health, a loving family and fame. But one day, one day, he came depressed and dejected. And two questions began to bother and torment him. These are the two questions. What was it all for? Where did it all lead to? And in his brief, very brief autobiography, which is titled A Confession, he wrote this. This is what he said. The man who had everything. My life came to a standstill. I could eat, drink and sleep. I could not help doing these things but there was no life. But there was no life in me. A lost meaning. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives meaning and purpose to life. Why? Because our faith is anchored in the living Savior. That's the real difference. That's the real difference between living an ordinary life and an extraordinary life. Do you see the difference? An ordinary life and an extraordinary life. What about you this morning? Does the resurrection of Jesus matter to you? The question that I began with this morning. If you are a Christian here today, how is the resurrection of Jesus changing your life? Do you know the joy of the Lord in your life today? Do you know his peace? Do you know his comfort? Do you know his grace? 
Do you know His mercy? Are you trusting Him? Are you growing in Him? Are you loving Him? Are you passionate about Him? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge and love of Christ? Do you know the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you saying to the Lord, Lord, this is my life. This is one life that I have to live. I want to live this life for you. I am everything. Everything that I own, everything that I am is yours, Jesus. Maybe there is someone here this morning who is perhaps exploring or wondering what this is all about. And you'd like to know more about this Jesus. Please come and see me. See John. If you're a lady, we will put you in touch with the lady so that you can talk to, to, to a lady if you so choose to do so as well. Or maybe God has spoken to you today for the first time. And you've lived your life and as a Christian you've come down to a point where everything has become so much for you, that it's so overbearing, and you've lost that sense of joy in Christ. Or maybe God is speaking to you for the first time and saying, give your life to me today. Then do so. Finally, friends, may the risen Jesus Christ lead and guide us as we trust him. Because he is our all-powerful saviour, a glorious king, a mighty redeemer, for our redeemer lives. There is a redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Know him, trust him, enjoy him, glorify him, be empowered by his spirit, know the joy of Christ, go forth in the power of Jesus in this world. In this life and the life to come. Because one day we will stand before this Savior. And we will see him face to face. Wow. Wow. Are you looking forward to that day in God's timing? Are you? (laughs) In God's timing, friends. We will stand before this risen Savior. And we will see him in all his splendor. Oh boy, what a day that will be. Until that day comes, may the Lord lead us and may we cling to him in faith, the power of his spirit, and serving and loving our Savior, the risen Lord. Amen. Father, thank you that our Savior Jesus is alive. We pray this morning. That when we have doubts, when we deal with people who have different views and opinions, those who are skeptical about it, help us, Lord, to engage positively in a loving and gracious way to share the glorious message of Easter with those around us. Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will move in each of our hearts and lives, that we will live spirit-filled lives, empowered by the risen Jesus, to live a life that honors Christ, that loves our Savior, and serves Him faithfully. If there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, may such a person come to faith in Christ. And Lord, this morning we pray for our city of Melbourne, we pray for our country, Australia, Please, Lord, please, 
bring spiritual renewal and revival in this land. In Jesus' name, Amen.